Welcome to the SFTC Consultant Podcast, the podcast where we have open discussions with Salesforce consultants, administrators, and architects. Today, we're speaking with Martin Homplatz, a Salesforce consultant at PwC in Czech Republic. Martin has been working with non-for-profit organizations for a number of years, and he is also posting on his blog at martinhomplatz.cz. In this discussion, among other subjects, we cover the cultural challenges that come up when implementing projects with stakeholders from different countries and continents, but we also talk about the Salesforce community in Czech Republic and how it has evolved. Additionally, if you find this episode interesting, I would really appreciate if you could share this with your peers, subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast player, and leave us a review. My name is Martin Humbles. I'm Salesforce consultant based in Prague, Czech Republic. And I started with Salesforce about eight years ago, seven or eight years ago, when I've been on the current leave and been looking what else I can do. And I've been to some conference about professionals and nonprofit, and then I heard about Salesforce. And it was like third time I heard that. So I decided I want to learn more about it and from that time i'm i fell in love and i started doing salesforce and implementation after implementation uh, learning more and more and now i'm salesforce consultant on probably way to cta certification uh, i'm user group leader i'm salesforce mvp and lightning champion and I'm proud. Proud of that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I was going to what I was going to say because um, you mentioned um, you know the way you started, uh, and right now you're also um, um, you know Salesforce MVP and trying to kind of flourish the, the community in in, uh, in in Prague. There, um, I was going to ask you about about that engagement potentially with the community. Um, is there is there a difference potentially between um, how do you you know the, the the things that you organize right now and the amount of of uh, quote unquote kind of talent influx if it makes sense compared to how it was let's just say five or seven or eight years ago? Yeah, definitely more people. I would say that those eight seven years ago there was maybe ten people in Czech Republic who did something with Salesforce. Uh, nowadays, I do have like 300 plus people in the uh, user group and when Salesforce organized the base camp there was about a thousand people so the community grew bigger uh, definitely and I hope that uh, all those different meetings and meetups really help to draw people into the technology because it's a way how to get in because usually when you want to start something you are trying to find a way and I'm not a big fan of networking, but at the same time, if you can meet the people and ask them, that's probably the best way how to get in, because otherwise it's super hard to get into a new area. You can learn the technology, but if you don't have any experience behind you and nobody knows you, it's super hard to get the job. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do understand that point, the fact that you could probably... Uh, yeah. I guess what we're going to say with that is that's probably the whole um, value proposition that a lot of universities are, are offering right now. The fact that you can probably learn the same thing on your own, you know, buying a bunch of books off, off Amazon or eBay, 
but then the value of networking um, and, and the value of you know kind of speaking with like-minded people and, and and all of that that brings you um, within the community and potentially opens uh, opens opportunities, I guess. And it's also about if you just read about the things and you can Google things pretty quickly nowadays. But if you Google thing, you get some answer. You don't really know whether the answer is still correct and whether it's hundred percent correct for your specific use case, because there might be one little thing in your use case which completely changed the answer. And if you don't know it, and you don't know it at the beginning, then you just go on the wrong, the wrong direction completely. But if you have someone experience who you can just ask as a friend, and they will reply, that's good for you because you won't hit the wrong direction. And it's good for them as well because they feel useful and then also can think about things they take for granted. Mm, makes sense, makes sense. Um, I was going to probably just just switch that right now in terms of kind of subjects and and you know what we uh, what we mentioned is um, what are the types what are the types of, of, of projects that you're that you're kind of supporting um, you know are you are you potentially doing like greenfield implementations um, are you uh, working on I don't know uh, multinational type um, digital transformation projects so what are, what are the types of projects that you've had experience in the last in the last few years uh, I would say I'm the greenfield person more or less or mostly uh, I spent my whole professional life on the side of uh, partner uh, so I always come to a new client and start the implementation or maybe we overtake a client and try to figure out how to continue and uh, nowadays uh, I do the big international projects uh, and I do the small projects as well. I would say I do have kind of dual personality because I, I work a lot with NGOs here in Czech Republic mainly. And on the other hand, I, I do all those big enterprise corporate projects running for a few years. So it's like uh, I need to balance both of them and each of them brings something interesting and I think they complement each other in a good way for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're talking about like a, a bit of a balance basically. You you can't yeah, yeah you can't just have <clears throat> big projects all the time. You kind of need to balance it back and forth basically. Exactly. And what I like about the small projects is that they are pretty quick because you have direct connection with people who can make the decision or want to make a decision and who wants to use it next week because that's important for them. And on the enterprise projects, you experience the other side, uh, the big meetings, and long, long times between decisions and uh, all the politicians and, and this kind of things. And it's interesting as well because I think it's part of the life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I was going to I was going to ask about um, uh, about these, and and I have I'll probably say I have experience with probably small projects more than than big projects. So I'm probably going to go after the big ones in terms of trying to trying to understand trying to understand something there. So in terms of the big projects, the way I have this in my mind is potentially you'll have um, um, you know kind of teams um, or teams being um, you know placed in different different locations. So you have that that as a quote unquote 
challenge in a way. So communication, I guess, is the biggest thing, uh, organization there. But what, what would you say are the, the biggest kind of challenges in terms of delivering a big project, which, which goes over over one year, two years, three years? I would say maybe like the language barrier is definitely there um, because it might not be about the the words, but maybe about the the meanings behind because you just use a different word and it's stronger in some language and less strong in another language and that's kind of bad in terms of the people feelings. Mm. Uh, there's like team dynamics and, and you know the interpretation. Uh, yeah. That interpretation that's yeah exactly. Uh, the fact that you do the work remotely or you meet the people remotely uh, is something we are getting used to thanks to the coronavirus but it's something we wasn't we weren't used before and that's uh, something which is hard to take as well because uh, obviously you have better relationship with your closest colleague you're meeting each day in the office and if you need to work with a team in different country and different time zone it's yeah, a bit farther and it's uh, a bit hard, bit harder with them. And I would say the, the hardest thing for me on the long-term project is the focus. Because if you have a feeling it's like a few years that you need to deliver something, you might lose the focus. Uh, so there's the segmentation of the project to smaller projects so that doesn't look like one big project which will be delivered at the end because the customer wants to see something on the way as well. But still, it's like, yeah, be good for next few years. Mm. So I was just, just a note on that, basically, just to, just to dive, dive deeper into that is basically, so, so the, probably the approach that you're, you're, you're thinking of, you have this gigantic project, but then you're kind of uh, uh, cutting that into smaller pieces. Um, how would you, or, or how, what's your experience about probably like documenting that um is, is some type of quote-unquote kind of dissection happening at the beginning in terms of uh saying you know prioritizing what's important and what is short-term versus long-term deliverable is that is that kind of the approach that's something you need to do you need to somehow cut the project and you either cut it based on the functionality or you cut it uh, like geographically or you cut it by technology or by department in some way. And it's pretty funny because I would say in the last few years, everyone speak about Agile. And when I started uh, my professional life, it was everything about waterfall. And I would say that uh, nowadays we need to deliver some kind of combination because you definitely need to specify the waterfall for such big project because those are the big parts you need to deliver. And then, in that specific fall, you can go a bit agile way. And at the same time, you still need to think about the big picture because you realize that something would be awesome, but at the same time, it's part of the next project. So you can't really deliver it now because it will somehow mix everything else. And it's hard to explain it to the users that this feature would be nice and make sense and it's probably not hard to deliver but at the same 
time it doesn't fit into the whole picture and we need to wait another six months and then there will be the big win that we deliver this simple functionality mm. just trying to imagine how <laughs> how um, that type of conversation kind of comes about where you know, someone is asking something extremely simple but like you said because of the whole dependency and and, and plan uh, the rollout plan around that you can't you can't deliver something which which for Salesforce potentially like you said can be something quite quite simple. Um, yeah, but at the same time we got recycled in lightning after five years of lightning, so there might be some complexity <laughs> behind. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to I was going to ask about that. Um, not not sure if you've experienced it, but and and I'll, I'll kind of put a bit of context to this. You mentioned lightning um, and. I've had a bit of experience and I did a, a big migration to Lightning while in the same time we were implementing some additional features. Um, so I was I was wondering if you've had that, I guess, um, migration to Lightning um, and, and how, you know, in case you've had that, how did you approach it um, in terms of potentially like the user adoption part, you know, or resistance, I guess, from the users? Um, or, or in case you haven't directly kind of, you know, been in, um, involved into that, how would you how would you think about it? Uh, I remember one organization uh, we started. Uh, they were on Classic, and actually they were on the pre-Classic, on the 2010 version, which not many people remember. It was even more ugly than Classic, but it was working. And uh, I started to speak with them. Uh, I don't know, 2017, about the vision of migrating to Lightning and that that's the future. And the owner of the company decided, no, 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 we will never, never, ever move to Lightning. That's not for us. And I think we spoke like every few months. And then one day uh, she said, okay, let's, let's do it, why not? And it was a small, small organization and we did the migration, we did the training, and I did the, the shadowing of the people. So I was able to uh, really do some changes in the UI, which they appreciated because it speed up the process and it saved some clicks. And so we moved, uh, we did the training, and I think it was like two weeks after after the switch, I got a call from from that lady and she was like why we waited so long <laughs> and it was like ah that's what you want to hear that's what you want to hear correct um, and on the other hand uh, if i can add a few more things nowadays the new implementations are all lightning obviously and at the same time i still do have uh, a lot of the non-profit organizations on classic because for them there is don't really identify any big win uh, when moving to Lightning. The only thing we can all see behind it is that we need to train the users again. And that's something they don't really want to invest the time and energy because they have enough of different work than just switching to Lightning for being with Lightning. So mm. it's still mixed for me. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Um, in terms of, because kind of, like I said, I kind of think about these 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 large projects and sometimes it's kind of a quote-unquote like a waiting game, like you said, in terms of, uh, you know, trying to keep focus. Um, 
on, on, on the flip side of that, I was going to say that um, presumably, like you said, in terms of the smaller projects, uh, one of the enjoyments that you get from that is um, direct line to decision-making, um, you know, stakeholders, you know. Um, but what I was going to say, what about that, pr presumably, like you said earlier, in terms of, you know, you shadowed the users um, whenever you did the training. So presumably you, you get a bit of a, a closer relationship with end users as well. Would I be correct in assuming that? If you have the small organization with just like 10 users, you are able to shadow each of them and have a discussion and really uh, meet each other and, and understand each other and get to know each other. If you have the, the big corporations, you get one power user for every 100 users. And you hope that you got the right power user. And the power user has pretty hard, is in pretty hard position as well, because basically if you don't do it right, all the other people in the organization will say, hey, you power user, you set them this. So it's it's not an enjoyable position. If it's good, then it's perfect. But if there is something small bad, then it's really bad. Mm. And uh, obviously, the, if you are in such position as a power user, you don't really feel you want to decide. Uh, so you go further and ask people, and it slow down everything because you you don't really want to make the decision usually. And as a consultant, you just need to trust the power user and, and really hope that you got the right one. Yeah. So would you see would you see these power users? Um, I don't know, like some type of, <coughs> I guess, validators or torch bearers or or something along those lines. It really depends because sometimes the power user is uh, is the one who really wants it, and that's that's perfect because you really drive it and it goes quickly because they are willing to take the decision and they really know uh, what the people needs and all these kind of things. Um, but at the same time, quite often, I would say that this power user is just someone who has the time and someone who was given us to spend the time with us because we, we ask for the power users. Mm -hmm. And obviously, it's not that enjoyable with these people because they, they don't want to make the decision. Or they need to ask a lot because they don't really know the answers because the people who know the answers, they are busy with the work uh, and they don't have time for you. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's the downside, that's the politics in the big projects. Uh, when we had a check demand last year, there was a presentation about this kind of things. And if I remember right, it was, they said something like, on the big projects, 80% of, of the job is the politics and 20% is the technical side. And it might be correct. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say about that because, you know, the, the whole politics side, I, I have just a tiny bit of experience on, on that. We, or I was, I was consulting for, for this organization and literally I think we spent about three sessions, two hours each, uh, with about six or seven people in each session um, to, decide, to decide the pick list values of a field. Yeah. Um, and, and from my side, I was like, literally, literally the technical 
part of this takes seconds, minutes. Yep. Uh, you know, we're talking about that. We're not, um, but it was, it was so, I guess the business process, because, you know, the, the business process had to, had to basically dictate um, the technology, not, not the, me coming from me coming from a um, a previous um, you know set of experiences dealing in small small projects and having that connection with a decision maker you know having the decision maker you know that, um, having um, you know his or hers phone number so you could you know quickly get there but now you have to go through committees and you have to go through design <laughs> groups and you have to go through this and I'm like oh my god you know when do we actually start doing work because up to this point we just talked we didn't actually do anything. I've been on a meeting who took a whole day and I think there was like 10 people and we spoke about tasks and I think we spoke for the whole day about tasks and at the end I draw the picture of the standard task as is in Salesforce and we said yeah it might look like this and it was a standard task after a day of chatting I said yeah yeah looks good we can use it. And I was like, yeah, that's something I should start at the beginning. And we just should say, yeah, that's okay. And then we can spend the rest of the day having, I don't know, beer somewhere or doing nothing <laughs> or whatever. But again, I, I would say that that's part of the big project that you somehow need to provide a feeling for the customer that there are some work being done and you do have the design session and you really pay attention to their needs. But it's a small company, you usually say, hey, this is the standard and you don't really have extra money. So what you don't like about it? And they said, no, that's good enough. Let's, let's try and use it. And then at the end, they will add one pick list value and it's good. Something that I want to mention as well, and and potentially uh, a bit on the a bit on the technical side, or or a bit on the on the Salesforce side, is in these in these implementation. How common is it for you to deal with um, uh, or or to potentially make use of the App Exchange? Um, potentially, you may you may do that for for bigger projects, or even I guess even for small projects, if if the objective and and the solution is there. Uh, versus actually building that functionality uh, within within the project, um, does that does that make sense? So, is, is basically, would you just use something from the App Exchange or or build it yourself? What is uh, the balance on that? I I I really like App Exchange. I don't have time to go through it and know every single application, but I do have a few applications that I really want to use on the projects. And uh, I don't really ask for approval. Uh, and at the same time, I saw a lot of projects uh, where the people really want to develop something instead of using the App Exchange applications. And then you have the customers who really want to customize something. So I do remember from the last projects that we used two things from the App Exchange. The, the first one was the declarative lookup roll-up summary, uh, which is awesome, awesome project, which allows you to roll up any field on the on the master record, uh, and it's awesome. And the second was a simple component, lighting component, uh, to show a hierarchy of records. 
and it was super easy to configure and it was almost good. Uh, and I need to say the almost because the customer really insists on one small difference in the component, which wasn't possible to do in this one. So we had to develop it from scratch. Mm -hmm. So, so it's basically whenever you kind of see see use of that, you're basically just going ahead and, and making use of that exchange. I try to. Sometimes it's not possible for some reason. Uh, sometimes uh, I would say there's not the safe feeling maybe behind the application because like yeah, it looks about good, but what if the provider decides to discontinue or whatever? Uh, so there's this risk. Uh, which you need to call out maybe and have a chat about that. But at the same time, I would say there are applications which are really widely used or community supported, and it makes sense to use them rather than to try to reinvent the wheel. Hmm. Makes sense. Um, on, 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 that, on that part, I was going to ask, um, in terms of in terms of someone someone starting, you know, we mentioned potentially the power of of, um, of you know these these events or these communities. And right now, I think um, the way the way Salesforce have organized their community and 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 the you know feeling of Ohana and, and some of the other some of the other kind of um, you know um, interventions that they've had um, in the community. I think I think it is kind of built to sustain itself, to kind of support itself. Uh, but what I was going to ask in terms of, in terms of learning uh, and potentially right now we can, based on your experience, you can either go uh, either Salesforce for learn, learning or, you know, project slash soft skills type learning. Um, how would you, how would you encourage someone or, or where would you kind of point them towards? I, I like the practical experience and at the same time that's something Trailhead can kind of bring because before Trailhead you just could learn the, uh, you got you could just uh, read the documentation and you needed to invent the use case you can use it for and I'm not good at it I, I don't challenge myself enough probably so that's why I like the projects and the practical experience and the customer who keeps asking and pushing you forward and not just letting you slip uh, away. Uh, and at the same time, you mentioned the soft skills and I had a chat about it uh, with someone the other day and I realized that uh, for me at the moment when I speak uh, with people who wants to work for us. The one part is the hard technical skills of Salesforce and the other half is the business skills, presentation skills, speaking skills and this kind of skills. And I, I feel that if you really know uh, the area, the business area uh, you have experience with, you can easily learn the Salesforce stuff. But if you don't have the business experience and you start from the Salesforce, you can, you find out how to do it in the technical way, but you don't really understand why customer wants it. And I would say that's the most beneficial thing when you understand why the customer wants it and you know how to do it. 
is the perfect combination for me. And if you really can be a partner for the customer and challenge them back, asking questions, why you do it this way? Because I saw somewhere they do it this way and it, it looks better and like improve their, not just the Salesforce implementation, but improve their business processes as well. That's what they appreciate as well. I was going to I was going to follow up on that um, in terms of um, uh, in terms of the objective of, of the consultant whenever they do an implementation and and I guess it's not just to install a piece of software in, in that particular organization but it's potentially to support them in using that piece of software specifically to their business process in order to improve that 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 business itself isn't it yeah and especially if you speak about the digital transformation process, uh, processes and programs and, and projects. Uh, I would say that's probably the specifics of the big four companies who do have the technical people. They do have the consultants who are somewhere between the technical side and the business side. And then they have the really business people who know the industry. They don't know much about the technology, yeah, technology agnostic, but they really do understand the industry and the future of the industry and all the risks and opportunities and these kind of things. And on the project, you use all of them. You you use these visionaries or whatever you call them, and then you falling down and maybe you combine them with people from other industries. And that's when it makes sense. It's a big team at the end, but if the people can really share the vision and then they can really shape the business in a bit different way and really transform the organization. Mm, makes makes total sense. Um, on, on on that point, I was going to I was going to ask because earlier, you know, you mentioned that potentially. Um, the biggest challenges is potentially when working on these largest uh, or larger um, projects, uh, cross-continental or multinational type projects, is potentially just um, uh, you know a subset of communication. Let's just say uh, that that may be one of the challenges. But what, what my question was right now is is how how do you how do you adapt? I guess to different. Um, uh, different cultures um, and, and potentially different um, different business models that people are used to in, in these businesses. Whenever you kind of implement a, a big a big project, um, presumably that you kind of need to be some type of a chameleon in kind of your way to, in order to kind of a uh, you know um, uh, quote unquote kind of make yourself uh, make yourself as as required for that particular project in order to succeed. Yeah, I would say you need to be open minded and you need to really listen uh, because you do have some experience and that's why the customer wants you because you do have the experience. At the same time, they, the customer usually wants to implement the, how you call it, the best of the best uh, in the industry or whatever, or the best practices. At the same time, they don't want to be the same as any competitor which goes against the best practices because then it would say that mean that everyone is the same because everyone uses the same best practices. 
and then the customer somehow uh, works at the moment and they do have some vision and you need to somehow combine all of all of these things and prepare a specific cocktail for the customer mm, interesting. and hopefully it will be good <laughs> Hopefully, it will be good. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good. I, I guess with these, these type of projects, um, uh, you know, you, you always have you always have the challenge. Um, I guess it will depend on the it will depend on the on the implementation itself and on the project itself. But somewhere, there's always a bit of a challenge that someone, some stakeholder, comes and they've never actually been fully engaged, or or you know, have, yeah. and right now they're coming in and they're looking at the project and they're seeing the result and they're saying, well, this is not what I was thinking. And, and I was going to follow up that with the question is, is how do you deal with that? Um, how, how do you deal with um, um, not really unhappy clients, but unsatisfied clients? Because I think there is, the way I'm looking at it, there's, there's a difference. Unhappy client is, you know, um, a difference between a workflow and a process builder. You know, I'm going to create two workflows versus a process builder. I'm just like, eh, I'm unhappy. But I guess unsatisfied uh, clients is, oh, I need to, I need to, I need to do this process in a different way. Well, I was hoping that it it it, it works it works like this. Um, so, do you have do you have any experience with that? Actually, I would say yeah, maybe the third kind of client who is unhappy and unsatisfied, and at the same time, he might be maybe incorrect. How to say that? The important part is that customer is always right. Uh, so that's something you always have in your mind. But at the same time, because you already have experience from the same industry and from a few different implementations, and you have the long-term experience, so you can you really see that you did this in really similar company and it didn't work, so you had to redo it. And now you are at the at really similar company, and they want the same thing as that company before. And you can already kind of predict it will be bad or it won't work. And that's the moment when you when you have the stakeholder who is unhappy and unsatisfied because they really have the, the strong vision what they want. And you have the strong experience that you know it it will not work. And you need to find a consensus, or maybe not a consensus, but really listen to each other and plan. And yeah. you you can say the customer is right, so let's do it and be silent. And then a few weeks or months time, they will realize they were wrong. And it might be kind of satisfaction for you uh, but it's a super hard situation. There is no easy way out of that. There is no silver bullet you can use every single time. It's always about the soft skills and the communication and, and listening. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last thing, like last subject that I would want to kind of, you know, touch upon this is, is potentially um, the, the relationship with Salesforce directly. Uh, and I would want to kind of break that in, in two because 
you know, you're doing a lot of stuff there with, with the community, you know, organizing the event. So I would really want to want to understand, you know, what, what's kind of your relationship, I guess, with, with Salesforce or what is not really a relationship, but in terms of, you know, the level of, of support and engagement that they also provide um, uh, for you. And then on the flip side of that, I would also want to just touch upon, um, I guess, from, from a um, project implementation point of view, um, you know, in case in case um, you need to reach out to Salesforce for any type of uh, any type of quote unquote kind of intervention, support, query, question, whatever that may be, um, how do you feel that they're responding to that? It's about the people connection. I would say um, that's little when it's important to have good relationships and uh, know people who know people. Because there are a few signs I can relate to. Uh, the first one is that um, the check market is quite small. So we do have just a few account executives in Salesforce. And obviously, we know each other. Uh, we don't communicate too often. But when we do communicate, we really communicate openly. <clears throat> the second is uh, probably the kind of partner enablement team. Uh, and uh, they are super open. So uh, whenever I wanted to organize a training for the community, they were more than supportive. They flew here, uh, did the training, or supported us with some knowledge and this kind of things. That was really, really super awesome. And then you have the community team, which supports the, the user community and the Czech Demon Conference, and they are supportive as well. And if I need to find somehow in inside Salesforce, I'm more than happy to do it. And then on the projects, uh, especially on the enterprise projects, uh, you quite often, it's important for Salesforce as well. So they provide the resources or they are more than happy to provide the resources. And it's awesome to meet the architects uh, or solution engineers from Salesforce because they really know a lot and they do have the internal access. So it's awesome to use them and, and learn things you didn't know before. Mm. That makes uh, that makes total sense. Um, what I was going to say last thing um, is probably say thank you for your time uh, for sharing uh, sharing some of the some of the nuggets there and some of the points that you've uh, uh, you've shared from your experience. Um, is there anything else that you would want to, you know, just, just close with, you know, a bit of advice for people that are just, you know, starting in, starting their career or they're thinking about a career change or even, you know, they're thinking about starting their own, their own consultancy, you know, how they would, how they should kind of think about, uh, <laughs> think about the next steps. I was never into networking and I always found it hard, but the older I am, the more I feel it's really important. Um, because when you have the connections, everything is easier. Uh, so rather than be somewhere stuck uh, on the customer side or maybe even on the partner side and not be in touch with the community, I would say you do a disadvantage for you to yourself. So I would say don't be shy. Um, go for conferences and meet people and go to the user groups and, and somehow try to make the connections because that's something which can really 
help you. Maybe not directly, but really you ask a simple question and someone will quickly answer you. And then you might be able to answer someone else's question. That would be my advice. Thank you for listening to the SFDC Consultant Podcast. Be sure to visit sfdcconsultant.com to access the show notes and discover additional content. If you enjoyed the podcast, it would be amazing if you could subscribe, give us a review and share it with your peers. Until next time, take care.